Welcome to another PI World podcast. This is an audio-only version offered as another way to enjoy our great content. A full video version can be seen on piworld.co.uk, where you can find many more videos of interest to investors. Welcome, everybody. Good morning. I have to say before I start, these are a set of results that I'm pretty pleased with. The momentum in the business is is really clear for us all to see now, and I hope um, you saw that through the RNS release this morning uh, and through the course of this presentation as we inform you more around what's happening in our business. As you all know, we have an amazing customer base. This is our heritage, working with the world's largest brands, supporting them to help convert those consumers into buyers. That's what we do for many of these brands. Over 300 trusted brands right now. We've got five offices locations, around about 170 people. To point out some of the new customers that we acquired through the period, you're looking there at companies like Estee Lauder, Marks and Spencers, Puma, and New Look. All of these new low enterprise logos were won against stiff competition from our global competitors. Uh, and in fact, in some instances, we were replacing or displacing uh, our leading global competitor, namely at MS and Puma. Just to remind everybody of our strategy and the target market segments we sell our products into. As I've said, historically, we've been very enterprise focused as a business. Um, our largest customers uh, are 500K to upwards of over a million in annual recurring revenue. In fact, our biggest customer is closer to 2 million in annual recurring revenue. We have a significant core of our base, which sits at that 60 to 500K in annual recurring revenue. But we have a new emerging market. This was a strategy we set 18 months ago to target this mid-market. And what we're doing here is bringing enterprise-grade functionality and heritage into the mid-market and giving our merchants the tools to help grow their businesses through better merchandising, better search technologies, and better personalization. That mid-market opportunity is huge. There are thousands and thousands of brands and retailers in any given uh, geographical market. Um, and, and there's a huge opportunity for our future growth. As you can see there, typically we're bringing on customers at the low end at around 15K in ARR, and we go up to around 60K in ARR for those mid-market merchants. What sets a tract apart? And I'm gonna focus on just a couple of things. The first is our domain heritage, our experience in e-commerce and our experience in search merchandising and personalization technologies both from an executive and management level. Most of our people have spent their careers, like me, working in e-commerce, uh, and our product and our customers uh, as well has, has been around for a significant period of time. And many of our largest customers have been with us for a, for a long, long time as well. You take ASOS, uh, we signed back in 2012, is a good example of that. We continue to invest in AI. We now call ourselves an AI company. We have, in my view, market-leading AI technology that can be influenced and controlled by merchants. So it's not a black box technology. Many of our competitors have a product that you're really not able to query, understand the data, understand why algorithms are making decisions. We provide a glass box view for our merchants to be able to do that. So that's fit for enterprises as well as the mid-market. We are investing heavily in what we call true one-to-one -one personalization. With the acquisitions of early birds in 2019, we got this core capability, and we're now looking to roll this out across all of our products. If we can begin to personalize search results against an individual consumer, making those search results highly relevant in the moment, we're gonna convert higher, we're gonna create more revenue for our customers. And we're also gonna lead the market in this area 
We're working on this in our roadmap right now. We have the underlying core technology there already, uh, both with our Aleph search engine um, that we acquired in 2020 and, and um, the early birds acquisition. Um, our roadmap, again, is driven by our customer use cases. We're very focused on that. We continue to innovate with our customers. The largest ones are often the biggest innovators, if you take Adidas and Screwfix, to name just a few. Looking at our results and looking at our strategic progress, the dual product strategy that we set is really now coming into play, and we're proving that we're able to drive successful acquisition of new customers, both in the enterprise and in the mid-market. The mid-market investment that we signaled about 12 months ago is now starting to pay dividends. We signed nine mid-market new logos in Q1. That's about three times the average we were doing through last year. The product was launched when we put search into XO for the mid-market. Back in the summer, we built the first integration to big commerce, and we need these native integrations for the commerce technologies, um, and that came in September. Off the back of that, we very quickly closed um, three to four logos per quarter um, in, in Q3 and Q4. Q1 has been game-changing in terms of that momentum, and it is because we're able to drive lead flow from those partners that we're onboarding, big commerce, Shopify, agencies in the UK and further afield in Australia, France, the Benelux, for example. We're now generating well over a third, 35% of our mid-market customers come from our partners. We close those deals faster, and we can implement them faster as well because the partner's already serving that customer. But in enterprise, we continue to make great strategic progress. This is largely down to an improved competitive product set, particularly with AI search, and we're winning new logos on a more common and regular basis now. So I wanted to remind everybody of our strategy, and I'll focus on a couple of areas. First of all is our partnership strategy and exactly what's going on with that and talk a little bit about being recognized as a market leader. It's important that this success that we're now having is being picked up by the analyst community, by Gartner, by Forrester, and they are recommending us to their clients and talking about us more and more, certainly part of our go-to-market strategy. When we look at partners, there are three core e-commerce platform partners. That's BigCommerce, Commerce Tools, and Shopify. BigCommerce is already integrated as its Commerce Tools, Shopify, we're currently working on that. We hope to release our native Shopify integration for our mid-market product uh, at the end of Q2. We also have a number of other ecosystem partners, we call them. These are strategic partners that are more focused on enterprise that can help us build more of an end-to-end -end solution to solve merchant use cases. So we're working with Publicist Group, who have a number of products as well as services capabilities and consulting capabilities. We're working with the likes of Dot Digital and Amasis, integrating their marketing automation technologies into our platform to power our algorithms to make them more responsive, to make them more relevant, and also being able to send that shopper behavior data back down into their systems to the benefit of marketing campaigns and outbound marketing automation as well. So this is a two-way synergistic relationship. The third pillar of our partner strategy is those digital agencies. They're advising the customer, they're bringing us to leads and opportunities as well, and helping us implement that technology so we don't have to build a huge services team to scale this business out in the mid-market. We close six big commerce customers with that native integration through the period, as I said, a significant amount of lead flow. This is ahead of our expectations in terms of partner source lead flow, but I now expect it to go beyond 40% through the rest of this year, 
and we're certainly targeting a higher number of that as we go into 23. If we can generate 50% of all our lead flow in the mid-market from partners in all of our territories, um, I'm fairly confident we can um, become a market leader in the mid-market with our product discovery solutions as well as in the enterprise. This is a Gartner Magic Quadrant personalization study that was completed last year. And this personalization study covers a number of vendors, personalization end-to-end. -end. So Attract is tracked as a niche vendor because our focus on personalization is in digital commerce only. We don't do marketing automation or customer data platforms or personalization in other business systems. We only do it in digital commerce. So we're tracked as a niche vendor. But we're alongside, as you can see here, big billion-dollar software companies such as Adobe, Salesforce, SAP, other really significant, fast-growing technology companies like Optimizely as well. And when it comes to personalization for digital commerce, Gartner ranked Attract number two globally uh, in personalization. And so that is a pretty significant um, thing for us to have, have achieved. Uh, we hope to better that this year and be recognized as uh, an out-and-out -out market leader by Gartner for digital commerce personalization. We believe we have better tools and technology for, the, for our merchants than does Dynamic Yield. We have to convince, of course, um, the, uh, the analysts of this. What I wanted to do was show you a demo of all of our technology working in unison across the whole product discovery journey. So in this example, um, a consumer opens up the retailing app. This could be JD Sports, for example. They type blue shoes. We're returning blue shoes uh, in the experience here. Now, this particular consumer engages with the chatbot on the app um, to ask a more detailed question because they're looking for blue shoes, but they, they, they want a bit more help um, with a search query. So they type in, what are the best shoes for running on muddy trails? That search query is calling now our AI search technology, and we're returning a whole bunch of very relevant products specific to the blue trainer, but also uh, the context of the search query, which is running on muddy trails. Here, you're also seeing content for running, running um, cross-country running, uh, being merged with product content. Uh, again, that's our search technology uh, doing that. The consumer goes to click on this particular product, they select the size, and then they add that to basket. They then go in and view their basket, and what you're seeing here is a whole bunch of recommendations designed to um, create more value for the consumer. So we're, we're returning specific recommendations against that blue trainer product for the muddy trails. We're returning skins in this example. The consumer is adding that to basket. So for the retailer, we're increasing the average order size through that relevant recommendation. And that is our technology working end to end across a product discovery within an app. This is all core technology, uh, there's, there's no smoke and mirrors in this demo, this is, uh, this is working with a chatbot technology, it's working with, uh, within the app, uh, and we can deploy this technology to any customer today, um, both in the mid-market and in the enterprise. I'm going to pass over to Eric for the financial review. Eric. Morning. Thank you. Thank you, Mark. Uh, morning, everyone. Three slides for me, one on KPIs, one on the summary financials, and one on the AR bridge that we normally go through. As we mentioned in the half year, we were going to focus on our existing base because of the ongoing uncertainty due to COVID. So total bookings were pretty flat at 4.4 million. 
Mark's mentioned that we had a building momentum in the fourth quarter and into Q1 in terms of the mid-market product when it was launched and also with the big commerce integration. ARR constant exchange rates was up 7%. We're excited that we've opened up the mid-market, which gives us a much bigger total addressable market to go forward in the future. 50% of our business is denominated in euros and it moved from 110 to 120 in the period, which impacted the growth rate, which was only then 4% at actual exchange rates. For those of you who've been following the company, you'll know that we've focused on multi-year renewals over the last two or three years. That's been our continued focus this year. All the major contracts that came up for renewal were renewed, and we're really proud of what we're beginning to see here. Our net retention rate remained above 100%. It was actually 104% in the period. We see this improving further during FY22. We don't know exactly where this will get to. We're really pleased with where it is. It continues to be a focus for us. In terms of new logos, you can see here that we signed 21 at a contract value of 1.4 million. This is the focus for the business as we emerge from COVID. Hopefully we are doing that now. And we've had a strong performance in Q1 and we'll talk to that in a moment. Looking at the financial summary, what you'll see here is that revenue grew at 11% at constant exchange rates. Gross margin was down by three percentage points. We flagged at the interim that we had some legacy XO contracts, which we were unable to charge for usage. We haven't remedied that problem now, but on new business, we are seeing margins delivered at 80%, both in the enterprise and in the mid-market sector. So we do believe this is something we can resolve over time. Service revenues were up and really bounced back after restrictions in 2020, and gross margins remain about 10% in the services business. EBITDA was lower in the period. To grow the mid-market and to double the size of our total adjustable market, we've had to invest in a sales force. We did that in the fourth quarter of 2021, and so EBITDA was lower. Cash was 3.5 million. It was impacted by some non recurring items that I've listed below, some COVID tax catch-ups and some consideration payments. Finally, looking at our ARR graph, I think the first thing that strikes you is you can see that we focused on upsells during the year. We believe that was the right thing to do with the uncertainty of COVID and contract decisions taking longer. On the right-hand side, you will also see that our lost ARR of 2.2 million was 0.5 million so about 20% lower than in 2020. This 2.2 million also includes 0.4 million for the loss of Debenhams. We believe we can drive this figure down in 2022. So what you'll see then is the plan for this year is for upsells to remain a similar level and for us to grow our new logo to at least match that figure over time whilst focusing on lower losses. Uh, back to you, Mark. Yeah, I just want to um, dwell on this slide for a little bit longer. Um, thank you, Eric. Um, as we've said, uh, churn continues to come down. We hope to get that to between 1 and 1.5 million this year. We fully expect those customer upsells to remain at or around the same amount. But new logo is really where we're going to create the accelerated growth opportunity. Last year, we're doing you know, 1.3, 1.4 million in new logo. So far this quarter, um, we've delivered um, around about 750K, something like that, in, in new logo in the first quarter alone. We've executed and above um, our target in enterprise and mid-market. And our 
Q2 pipeline is, is looking pretty, uh, pretty significant as well. Overall, in Q1, we delivered 1.5 million in bookings. We were targeting 1 million, so it's a fantastic performance overall. Our AIR bookings in the quarter were 928 against a target of 884. We signed Newlock and Selco in the first quarter. And I also flagged earlier that we were in contract negotiations, in legal negotiations right now. We're selected as preferred vendor in another major UK international fashion retailer uh, of a similar size, slightly bigger than Newlock. Um, both of these deals won against big global competitors. Nine mid-market deals signed in the UK. We've onboarded our first mid-market customer in Australia and Germany, and we sold as well into the UK and France. And actually, right now, we're well set up in the UK from a mid-market perspective with a sales function and a partner function. Um, and we've got two or three really, really good partners delivering that lead flow. Um, we, we haven't yet replicated that out in the other regions just yet. We're building it. Uh, we hired our first French partner manager, uh, started earlier in Q1. Uh, I was down in Australia three weeks ago and we had you know, 15 plus partner meetings and we've identified three or four highly strategic partners in that market. Uh, and we need to deploy uh, sales and marketing teams there as well. We've already deployed mid-market sales function in Australia. So these markets will come, come online throughout the course of 22. Uh, but even in the UK alone, I'm fairly confident we can hit our mid-market targets. Uh, once we bring these other regions online, that's when we're going to really begin to accelerate it. Right now, those partners are generating 38% in Q1 of all of our lead flow. We see this momentum growing as we onboard, train, and work more strategically with more partners in different regions. It's actually my hope to get to closer to 50% by the end of the year, and I think that is eminently achievable. So we've had a record quarter, uh, and we go into the rest of this year with a a lot of confidence. We've got great products for the enterprise and for the mid-market. We're proving that out. We've got a great pipeline and investments in marketing over the last 12 months in particular. We're generating the pipeline for enterprise and for mid-market. Our sales pipeline in enterprise is six times for Q2 target we need to deliver, which is really interesting. We've not had a gross pipeline coverage like that in previous quarters. We're predicting record low levels of churn. We're predicting accelerated growth rates, and we saw that in Q1. And we plan to be cash neutral in 2022. So I think now the business is really in the right place. We have really good momentum. Uh, we have the ability to capitalize on that strategy we put in place 18 months ago. Uh, and I think the company is now in a, in a really solid position, firing on all cylinders uh, and ready to take advantage of uh, the opportunity in front of us. That's all from me. I'm happy to take any questions. Thank you, Mark. And we've got a written question from Gareth Evans from Progressive Equity Research, who asks, in terms of your AI and particularly the algorithms, how much of this is your intellectual property and how much is developed bespoke for particular clients where they might restrict you from reusing it for other customers? A hundred percent of our AI um, is it, it, the IP is owned by us. Uh, we don't um, even if we're working with a customer on developing uh, an algorithm, the underlying technology and IP is is all ours. Uh, so we might optimize and configure different algorithms for customers, but there's a configuration. It's not a development, so we have no issue with um, you know allowing IP to creep out of the business. Um, 
And that goes for all of our products uh, and across all of our customers, both in mid-market and enterprise. Thank you very much. And Michael Hill from FinCap has a question. Yep, great, thank you. Um, Could I just ask a couple? So I think you talked about enterprise lead times lengthening before, uh, but it mm. feels like with that pipeline that you've got going into Q2, there's a lot of potential for it to really accelerate. So is that something that if it comes through at the same time, as the bid market really taking off could really drive some quite substantial momentum and upside for your numbers. Um, and then secondly, are there any areas that you think the platform could could really benefit from evolving further on top of, say, the search side? Um, and would you look to do that organically or inorganically? Yeah, okay. Um, well, the first question, yeah, we, we think there's upside. We can see it in our pipelines and we can see it in our forecasts, um, both in mid-market and enterprise. What, what we're seeing in enterprise, actually, is a, I, I think it's a trend related to, to how these enterprise retailers and brands are selecting technology. They're now looking for best of breed as opposed to a stack. And so they're typically procuring, uh, as part of a replatforming project, perhaps six or seven different technologies, of which we are one. And so what we're seeing is in procurement, they, they've got their hands full dealing with you know, uh, more deals, more negotiations, and it just slows down the cycle. We've, we've, we saw this in, in multiple deals in Q3, Q4, and Q1, um, elongating by about two to three months in the enterprise as a result of that. Um, we've mitigated that, though, by improving the pipeline, as you, as you pointed out. Um, the pipeline coverage is, is a lot bigger. So as long as we can plan for when these deals will drop and have more to go after within a quarter, uh, I don't see I don't see the elongation of the sales cycle hurting us at all. Um, we're being more competitive uh, as a result of our investments in the product, um, and our conversion rates are improving. Um, so I, I, I think that will continue to grow. In terms of you know organic uh, development, I think yeah, absolutely. We now have a core of underlying technology. Um, through which we can innovate on organically. And a good example of that is, is, is with the LF acquisition we made, the AI search technology. So we've embedded that into both products now, but on our roadmap for this year, we have a number of initiatives where we're using and, um, and building new features on top of that underlying AI search engine. We're building, for example, uh, search personalization. That will allow us to personalize search results against an individual user in the journey. Uh, and no one is really doing this today in, in, in our space. Um, we hope to be one of the first, if not the first, to market with true one-to-one search personalization. We're working on that in our roadmap now. Um, and that's 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 actually using the XO personalization capabilities and algorithms, uh, as well as the Aleph algorithms, uh, to achieve that goal. Um, and we have visual search and visually similar that we've um, started building upon and deploying. We have AI search suggest functionality that we're replacing in Fred Hopper with the new AI search engine. So there's a whole bunch of new IP and functionality, but we're not having to go and acquire that again. We're building on, on what we've already got um, and taking advantage of it. It's not to say that we wouldn't do acquisitions again in the future. We, we keep an eye out what's going on in the market. We need to stay ahead of the market now. I finally feel we've got there. Um, and so we, we we will look at all options in the future. Great, thank you. It feels like it's much more deeply integrated now, and that's the direction you're taking it for the products that you have. Um, and I guess as well, does it help as you look at the enterprise space that you've been able to win from your competitor to really highlight people 
they've moved across it's gone seamlessly you should do that too yeah and um, yeah that's a result of we've always been great at merchandising that's always been a reason why an enterprise merchant would use or, or select attract um, now we're super competitive in search technology uh, with the AI search technology uh, and we've you know we've launched a refresh of the Fred Hopper interface so it now looks a lot slicker actually looks a lot more similar to EXO so we're, we're making the products not just more deeply integrated but they actually look very similar from a user interface perspective uh, and it looks more modern as well and and you know when we go out and demo this to enterprise retailers they really like the look of it brilliant thanks very much and we've got a written question from Andy Darley at FinCap can you explain the pitch process with your partners for the mid-market do you have a channel partners team to take on more partners and integrations and at what cost and return on investment I'll let Eric pick up the cost and return on investment I'll cover the first part of the question um, yes we have a channel team uh, we have a, a VP for channel we have uh, partner managers that we're deploying into each territory and they look after our partnerships on a day-to-day -day basis uh, we also embed the sales team with our partners so we spend more and more time um, building relationships with the sales teams in those partners and getting a one-to-one -one relationship going on um, and, and that's beginning beginning to work we've also invested in building out documentation portals for partners uh, to learn about our product we've built out certifications both developer and sales certifications for partners um, in the second half of last year so that we can enable them with all the information they need to um, not just co-sell with us but but also implement we launched a new partner program in q4 uh, so we've got now three tiers of partners um, and we're focused right now on the strategic ones the platinum partners where they are committed to bringing us a certain number of opportunities per year in exchange for that partner status, uh, more deep investment from us on professional services um, and go-to-market and market development funds. So we've we've really we've really put a lot of sophistication into that partner program over the last six to nine months in particular, and it's beginning to pay off. In terms of going to market, um, we do it two ways. First of all, uh, an agency typically will bring us into one of their customers. That are either running big commerce or Shopify, um, and that's a that's a that's a warm introduction at that point, and they are incentivized to help us sell uh, with a, a clip on our ARR. Um, and the other the other the other opportunity is complete new business where we go in strategically together to go and sign a new customer together. Uh, so we do both. Eric, do you want to pick up on the the um, the other part? Yeah, absolutely. So you know, historically we've been very strong selling out of the uk we, we made a very conscious decision this time andy to put boots on the ground both in france and in australia as well as in the uk to all partners we're measuring very closely the pipeline growth and i'm pleased to say we sign mid-market deals in australia and france as well as out of the uk in the first quarter so in terms of return and investment we, we still don't have a model for that but at the moment which is very uh, carefully measuring activity and looking to see whether um, what we've had in the UK can be replicated overseas. And I think we're pleased with the early signs we're seeing. 
Thank you very much. And Andy goes on to ask, also your service margin seems unusually low. Do you take that on the chin to win the client or is there room for some margin expansion on that, presumably one-off revenue stream? We absolutely see that as an opportunity to uh, provide additional services which should help to make customers stickier going forward. Um, Historically, this has very much been an implementation function. We'd like over time uh, to, to have it more as a value-added function. So this is a big opportunity for us. Thank you. And a few questions from James Wood at Canaccord. We'll take them one at a time. How are you placed with regards to salary inflation in the coming year? Let Eric pick that one up. Yeah, it's definitely there. I would say we're seeing between 5 and 8% per annum. I think the bigger picture is that staff attrition was low in 2020 because of the start of the pandemic. And I think there's a bit of catch up in 2021. So some people have moved to other tech jobs, but there's also just a catch up that people have gone on to do different things. Um, there is a challenge is more difficult recruitment market. Um, our response to that is going to be to hire slightly more junior people and train them and offer people a career path. Um, but certainly today, we believe it's manageable in our business um, and it's between five to eight percent per annum is, is what we're seeing at the moment. Thank you. And we'll go to Hayley Palmer at Canaccord. Thanks for waiting, Hayley. No worries. Thank you. Morning, Mark. Morning, Eric. Um, Congrats on the full year and the the wonderful momentum you're seeing so far um, in Q1. I was just wondering whether um, you could provide some more colour on the plan to accelerate the new logos. Uh, Is that where you'll be reallocating resource from the upsell teams or is that where you're looking to recruit more to um, service the new clients? And then uh, just a second question on the churn. Is there a typical reason that you see customers churn? Because it doesn't seem like they'd be going to competitors given the the strength of the product offering. Um, And then could you just run through the strategy on how you plan to reduce it, please? Thank you. I'll take sales and marketing. I've got an opinion on churn, but I, I, I guess also Eric will. Um, so yeah, over the over the second half of last year, uh, we had to put a, a new mid-market sales function in place to take our mid-market product to market. Having enterprise salespeople, um, you know, work those kinds of opportunities that are very fast moving. Um, it, it was not the right approach. Enterprise sellers need to be focused on, uh, you know, deep engagement across. The, the business, multiple stakeholders, it's a complex sales cycle, uh, it's a different job. Um, and so that mid-market sales function took a bit of time to get up and running. We've now got mid-market sellers in ANZ, in France and in the UK, and we're looking to hire a few more people in that team. We've also now got partner managers coming on board, um, and partner managers support that mid-market go-to-market uh, because it's heavily partner-driven. So those are the investments we've made in in the people uh we've still got um a couple more salespeople to hire in q2 um i think one more partner person um so there's not too much more we need to do um over the course of the rest of the year in that area so i think we're pretty much done there in fact our quota coverage by the end of the year will be with our sales function across enterprise and mid-market will be uh significantly over what we need to, to hit our targets um, and that wasn't always the case um, in the company kind of going, going back a year or two years, three years ago. Um, on churn, um, I think that the strategy is Eric outlined to um, sign customers up to multi-year 
renewals means just we we come under less pressure for having to um, you know retain a customer because they they've been tied in for longer uh, and so they're not they're not thinking about replacing us. When you come to the end of a contract, you're always thinking as a merchant, well, is this the best vendor? Do I need to look around at the market? If they start looking around at the market, then of course, um, you know, there might be some kind of a process. Um, so the strategy to tie people in for longer is definitely part of that. The improved competitiveness is another part of that. Rolling out more products into that customer base, making them more sticky, more reliant on our complete technology stack, uh, and creating more value um, is, is another part of that strategy. Eric, I don't know if you've got anything yeah. else to add to the question. Yeah, okay. So, yeah, we're obsessed by this, Haley. So so whenever anyone leaves, we, we, we sort of absolutely have a post-mortem and understand what it's about, okay? So there are four historic reasons. Those of you who have been with us a little while, we know we used to have a problem with onboarding, and we used to have an issue where people didn't go live green, yeah? And that just leads to immediate problems. Um, I'm really pleased to say we've worked our way through that. There's been a focus for us. People now go live green, and we have very few implementations that aren't on time and on budget. So we start off in a much better place. So we've made real progress on that, which is fantastic. We're proud of that. Um, thankfully, we've got less what I will call zombie retailers on our books. You will remember House of Fraser. You will remember Debenhams. Yep, we, we don't have any more of those, but you know, Debenhams was 400K this year, House of Fraser was 400K the year before. So um, hopefully we don't have any of those in 2022. I can't see any today. So that leaves us to the two that are live today. The two we see today are one value we classify and the other is re-platforming. Look, if someone is putting their whole stack up for review, they will look at all the components, okay? So, so that is an issue. We are a front-end technology, and so people, there's always a chance people will look at that. In terms of value, we need to continue to demonstrate value to our customers. And you know, people are obsessed with this. It's 50% of people's uh, volume name for high street retailers. And so people do come in and talk about what else they can do, a different angle, um, if someone's just search focused, then you know perhaps Algolia is fantastic. If you want a whole package, we think we're really, really powerful. Um, so we have those two issues which are absolutely focused on. Um, we're better than we were before, and we've eliminated two of the root causes, Haley. So that's a little bit of detail. Thank you. And that's the end of questions. Mark, do you have any closing remarks? Uh, yeah, just a, just a couple. Um, Really proud of the, the the momentum we have in this business now. It does it does feel like we're firing on all cylinders. We're firing in customer, uh, retaining those customers, lowering churn, improving net revenue retention. Uh, we're firing in the mid market. Completely new strategy. It's working, um, and we've bought enterprise grade mindset functionality to that mid market, and that's why we're able to win against you know. Um, competitors that have been in that mid-market for a long long time and why we're displacing them um, and I think that's a huge opportunity for our future growth you know as I've said ten you know tens of thousands of these mid-market merchants globally uh, we've not even scratched the surface um, yet um, and we've got this improved competitiveness in our enterprise product um, we're, we're able now to, to identify um, better sales tactics focusing on the very largest enterprise merchants where Fredop is a great fit for, 
Um, so that laser focus is getting better results. Our conversion rates are improving as a result of that. Uh, and our average ARR in the enterprise is going up because we're focused on selling that product into much bigger customers rather than historically the mid-market, which is what we were doing. Uh, we don't come under price pressure in the mid-market, uh, sorry, in the enterprise market. Uh, Fred Hopper is a, is a premium priced product, uh, but not as expensive as the other premium priced product on the market. Uh, and so, you know, I think our win rates will continue to improve there. So when you put all those three things together, you can really see now how this business is set for more rapid growth uh, and hopefully delivering uh, against its expectations in the future and more. PI World videos and podcasts are for general information and interest. They do not constitute any kind of recommendation or inducement to buy shares of any company. PI World is not offering any kind of financial advice and nothing in our material should be taken as such.